0: Hey podcast, Uh, it's me again on uh, Fitness Business Blueprint podcast here and I've got Jack Thomas with me today. This is going to be brilliant. Uh, Jack is the founder and CEO of Base and also the host of another great fitness podcast you should check out, which is the Fitness Business Asia podcast. Uh, And so we'll get into into Jack's story today, but but Base is currently at three studios. It's in central Bangkok and uh, Jack is winning a ton of awards, including Asia's best Gym of the year. And you recently picked up another couple of awards. Uh, I saw um, Bangkok's Best Studio, uh, Asia's Rising Star of the Year, uh, and a whole lot more. So, Jack also founded the Fitness Based Business Asia podcast in 2018 with a mission to raise standards of the fitness industry. And it's taking some big steps towards that goal, hitting the top 10 entrepreneurship podcasts in many of Asia's key markets, including Hong Kong, Thailand, Singapore and even Dubai. So we'll drop some links below if you want to check out that and definitely go and follow the podcast. I saw some of Jack's content, we connected recently, and um, I just knew he was a guy, legit guy, we need to get on the podcast and, and share some stuff with you. And I'll be looking to learn some stuff myself, as always, too. So hey, Jack, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you
1: for the warm introduction, Justin. Yeah, absolute pleasure to be here, and it's always nice to connect with another podcast host. So, thank you very much for having me.
0: No problem. So we, we connected because we were both featured recently on uh, I think it was a top twenty fitness business podcasts on the planet article yep. uh, or or, or thing. I didn't I didn't even have any clue about this. I'm not sure if you did. I just saw the, the notification on LinkedIn one day that I'd been nominated in this thing. Uh, I wasn't really. Didn't have much awareness about it, but I saw you and some other guys on there, too, and I immediately started following your content and thought, you know, we're on the same wavelength here with this stuff. Uh, and so I wanted to invite you on. But- yeah,
1: well, I think we got tagged by a mutual friend, right? So um, I'd actually seen your podcast, but I didn't think I'd heard any episodes. So once I saw that you were tagged, I had to look through the list, of course. It was an honor to be included with so many other great podcasts and then started listening to a few of yours and and then we connected. So yeah, a lot of those podcasts in that list are ones that I first listened to two years ago and really really learned a lot from like the fitness business podcast for example and a few of the other ones so to be included in that list two years later was was pretty cool and the reason that we started a few years ago is because there was nothing localized to asia so there was tons of great fitness business content out there but it was mostly us-based uk-based australia so i kind of i guess i built the podcast that i wanted to hear because no one else was doing it
0: yeah good good yeah so and people are gonna be wondering we're talking about Asia, you know, your business is in Asia, but clearly you're from the UK. So yep. I'd be interested to know your story of how, you know, how did you go from the UK over to Asia? When? Why? How? Tell tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I do try and fly through it as quick as I can because it could go on for a couple of hours otherwise. But yeah, born and bred in Bristol. 21 years old, working for a bank, hated the corporate lifestyle, was was really keen to get out of it, came on holiday to Thailand, loved it. So decided to go backpacking into Thailand, Southeast Asia, and then Australia. So that didn't quite happen. I'm still in Thailand 15, 16 years later. I was traveling for a short while. I was teaching English for a short while. And then I set up a clothing export business with a friend of mine. And that just kind of gave me a taste of buying, selling, entrepreneurship, doing business online. Did that for about seven years and it started to tank a little bit around 2008 2009 mostly due to the financial crisis and something that you probably would have experienced living in cyprus the pound lost a huge amount of value so that pretty much killed the business and to be honest i was pretty bored with it anyway was really looking for something different to do and just saw an opportunity in the fitness industry in thailand i was training at one of the big gyms here and the personal trainers there just looked completely disinterested mostly on their phones. The standard of training was clearly low, but it looked like the fitness industry was on the rise. So within that, I saw an opportunity. I knew of a couple of foreign personal trainers that were doing quite well, um, sort of scooting around the city, seeing clients. So I thought it'd be a good move, thought it's something I could enjoy and thought there would be some longevity to the career. Turns out eight years later, I was right. I started working for a small studio. Yeah, very local, you know, no front desk staff or anything like that. Just a few trainers working out of a small space that was really great to get experienced. And a year later, we opened a studio that's still up and running today. Still good friends of mine called The Lab. We were pretty much the first boutique studio in Bangkok. It was us in one other studio. And honestly, it just kind of went crazy overnight. Thais suddenly became quite interested because we brought a bit of flair, a bit of sexiness to boutique training, which wasn't really there in the fitness industry. So it really got quite Busy and quite lively almost overnight. And one of the biggest things was we were predominantly expat when we had the small studio, maybe 98, 99% expat. Pretty much overnight, we were 30 or 40% Thai. We were starting to get newspapers come in to interview us, TV shows, all that kind of stuff. And
0: that really started to help to build the profile. What made Sorry? that change? Was, was that some cultural things you add in? Was it staff members that what made that, that expat to local transition happen so quickly? Good question. I think one thing was the time was right.
1: So I think, you know, in the U.S. and the U.K., boutique fitness was starting to get more popular. And, you know, ties do tend to look west for new trends, new things to do, stuff like that. So I think the timing was particularly good. But honestly, I think it was because we suddenly had a cool location. It looked great. It was quite, you know, quote, unquote, Instagrammable. Really good view. Lots of spots to take photos around the studio. And it just kind of looks a lot cooler to be than our first studio, which was basically a converted office with pretty much no window and, you know we had basically PR that we didn't even really pitch for because people were hearing about us seeing it and then coming in and doing you know tv shows um interviews magazine features because it just looks cool and it looks different so at the time because there was no real boutique studio just doing functional circuit training was a massive differentiator. Now, you know, in the end I, end, I left that company four years ago to set up base, and we needed something a little bit sexier, a little bit more different to really make ourselves stand out because the industry had grown so much in five years. let to go back to your question. I think it was just a good case of timing, and also we just kind of made it feel like a cool place to be. We made it feel like the kind of place that Tite wanted to come to and train at. And since then, that was eight years ago, we've seen an absolute explosion in boutique fitness. And for sure now, Bangkok will be considered one of the top um, cities for Fitness in Asia.
0: So you helped grow. You work at the, the first studio. You helped grow that, and then you set a base. So the the uh, how how much did you did you re- did you just get your experience in the first place and then go to base, or did you really help take that business to to a new level uh, and then you went on your own?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I was part of the team that helped to really grow and build that. So I joined the company as a brand new, fresh off the boat coach. So really the first year was just learning the ropes, taking every single opportunity I could to learn, which is something I really tell our coaches to do now and really kind of inspire them to do. Park boot camp at 6 a.m., I would do it company, corporate event, I would do that. PTA, at 8pm, I would just grab every single opportunity I could to learn. Also, I needed the money, so that was another motivation. But really, you know, what was so useful later down the line was I just learned so much from doing all these different kinds of sessions. Once I'd been in that company for about 18... Is that business still Sorry. going
0: today? Is that, is that business still yes. going as well, yeah? And you yeah, the friendly? lab's still going. And you still the management there?
1: Yeah, yep, still friendly with the, the manager, yeah, or the, the owner of the business, my old boss. Yeah, still get together from time to time. It's good to have other friends in the industry. So, yeah, I took every opportunity I could to learn. 18 months into that journey with the lab, um, I guess because I was so enthusiastic and jumping up at all the opportunities, I became fitness manager. So it was essentially hiring coaches, training them, managing them, getting the best out of them. And then my boss left to live in Australia, or my ex-boss. And when he did that, I was the natural replacement for managing director. So that was basically running the company. You know, he was still very involved. We were running it together, basically. But he was doing that remotely i was based on the ground and then just made a decision just over four years ago that i wanted to build my own thing that was something that really excited me and turned me on so i left that company which again is you know still doing well still going strong left that company to start working full-time on my next project which was base
0: awesome awesome yeah so it's very similar it's very similar to my story in a lot of ways where only i did i worked in a gym in the uk First of all, my first, uh, before I had any any, um, conceptions about being a business owner, I never even, maybe you can relate to this, I never set out to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to be a good coach, learn the ropes, manage a place, have a job. I was just grateful to have a job in fitness. And I was, I ended up kind of doing everything in the studio and, you know, bringing all the ideas in. And they they were, you know, the management were very hands off. They were like, "You what you want to do? If you think it's going to work, you go ahead." And um, eventually, then you know, after a while, I just I just saw the opportunity to come over to Cyprus and then set up my own business and just do it all for myself. Mm. Uh, but it yeah, I didn't here. really
1: think when I got in the industry, right, I'm going to open a gym. This is the path. We're going to have three studios and we're going to scale beyond that. You know, It just didn't really enter my mind. I mean, I've kind of been through the entrepreneurial journey with my clothing export business. I just wanted to do something I enjoyed. I didn't really think beyond coaching. I was just mm-hmm. like, let's try and build up some clients. I know I can make decent money. I can pay some of my credit card bills. That was really as far as I thought. Although I did see a growing industry, I didn't quite connect the dots. And honestly, I didn't see it growing and exploding and, and quite the way that it did but as the industry developed as I started to do more coaching and started to manage coaches quite honestly I started to get just as much or more um like pleasure and satisfaction from building up coaches and mm-hmm. seeing them progress and develop and influence more people than I did from actually training clients this and now you know I don't train clients yeah, anymore a
0: really important point here which I want to cross the gap for some listeners because one of the big things I always say you, you probably feel the same you know one of the reasons probably the the most fundamental reason most studio bootcamp gym owners who are kind of stuck at that low six figure ceiling and they can't get to that next level, even though they know they've got a great product. Um, the reason they can't, the ultimate reason they can't get there, I believe, is that they are still stuck with a solo printer mentality. They've hit the ceiling of what you can do as a self employed person with a job and they're, they're fully booked and you have to make a choice at that point, a conscious choice of either yes i'm happy with this and i'll have a self-employed job making making low six figures but that's what it is and if i take a holiday if i stop working i stop earning or i now have to understand if i want this to continue growing i have to turn it into a business and i have to now wear the hat of business owner or entrepreneur not solopreneur and i need to you know have a, a job that i work for or start building a business that works for me, and that's that. I think that is the biggest uh, chasm. That's the biggest gap for most entrepreneurs. I, I find. So, did you have any experience of that? And what um, how, you know? So, for anyone listening who's in that place right now and they don't feel they don't feel they don't have the awareness of being a business owner, or they do, but they're just a bit worried about what that takes and the responsibilities and They Mm. want to constrict and hold control of everything. How did you make that transition, first of all?
1: Yeah, so I was kind of eased into the role. So I think just to go from coach to suddenly having a studio with quite high overheads in a prime location in Bangkok with five trainers would have just been too big a jump to take, I think, for me. But I was kind of phased into it. So I went from coach... Into fitness manager, then into managing director, which was basically taking the role of running the company. You know, so I wasn't really training much anymore. I was recruiting coaches, I was building them up, I was looking at processes and procedures through the business. For the first
0: business for the first people you worked for, yeah.
1: Correct, yeah. That was for you know my, my my previous studio. So then by the time I left, I felt like I knew what it took. to open and build a fitness business and studio. You know, that being said, man, I've learned so much since then. I remember being like real high on confidence before we opened base. Like, I am ready for this. You know, I'm the best person to be doing this. Man, even a year later, I was looking back and thinking, wow, I didn't really know that much. And again, now I look back at three years later and think the same thing. And I would hope in five years, I look back at myself today and think, wow, you didn't really know that much then. And it's kind of, that's been a mindset shift, I think, knowing that you really always have to grow. Being a coach with, say, 15 high-paying clients, 20 high-paying clients and earning good money, there's um, a lot of development that will be needed to get to that next stage of um, managing coaches. It's actually a completely different skill set. And then setting up a business and then marketing and then PR and HR and all the other things that come with it. So with each step, you kind of need that mindset shift And I think you made a very good point there that it kind of is for some people and isn't for other people. And that's a good thing to recognize. Maybe you will be happiest, like some of our coaches at base, being a coach and really focusing on that and becoming fantastic at that and really narrowing down on the niche, just the kind of clients that you want to work with and making good money. And that is fine. Maybe being a business owner just isn't right for you. But if that's something you genuinely aspire to, you do need that mindset shift to not just see it as like a necessary evil. Oh, now I've got to do finance stuff. Now I've got to do recruitment. Now I've got to manage people. Now I've got to manage other humans. Rather than see that as like a necessary evil, you need to really embrace that and really basically commit to getting so much better at that. And honestly, you need, I think, to enjoy that. You need to develop some love for that. Managing people is hard. You know, Finding good managers is really tough. Developing into a good manager, especially from a coach, is hard. You've got to find some passion and love for that. And you know, When you start seeing people really being built up, because of what you've done for them, I think then you start to kind of get the bug a little bit. And management is tough, you know, there's always ups and downs, but if you can kind of get that bug and you can throw yourself into it, that is when you really start building a business, you know, as part of that, if they buy into your vision, where you're going with this, the company's mission, if they start to get behind that, that's when special things start to happen and again maybe no more special than just being a coach if that is what you want to do you know what i mean i think that's a decision that people really need to focus on and make and i've unfortunately seen people make the wrong decision and think okay maybe now i should have a business it hasn't worked out well for them they've lost a lot of money sometimes friends investors stuff like that and that's never good to see yeah
0: oh there's so much good stuff there to unpack about what you just went into and um, I was saying yesterday, yeah, you know, to someone about that. We often, some of us often see that when you get to that that crunch point of having to make that conscious choice: do I want to keep a job or, or go into a business? We we perceive that working with employees or team members is going to be the most scary thing, but actually, it becomes the most fulfilling and rewarding part of all of this. Your team are your new clients, as we say, um, and and and. And yeah, like you've got to, that's why I say that That conscious choice is you, I, I think you're totally right. You have to want it. First of all, you can't just say, oh, shucks. Well, okay. Yeah, I guess I better do this business thing. Then like, I'll have to do the finances. You've got to love the process. You know, I put I, I, I use a metaphor of like being becoming an Olympic athlete or a sports pro, or if you work with like busy competitors, it's like me, I don't want to be a physique competitor. So I, I hate the thought of having to track my calories because it's just not a goal for me. Um, but I'm, I'm self-aware on that. And so I don't beat myself up over it. I just say, no, I'm not going to micro-track every little calorie and piece of salmon because I'm not getting on stage in 12 weeks. So I couldn't really give a shit. Um, yeah. And same with company finances. Um, you know, you've got to love the process of doing it. If you want to be in the 1%, you have to take on the responsibilities of being a business owner. And, and the other thing you said there is if, and something, something um, Gary Vaynerchuk has said recently, which was really good about, you know we're now seeing that a lot of people in the last 10 years who think that there's, there's people who are natural entrepreneurs, probably much like yourself, um, who, no matter what you do, you end up in some kind of business, selling and trading something. Um, but then there's also people that only have entrepreneurial tendencies. And the last 10 years, we've been very confused. Those lines have been blurred, particularly in fitness, because the opportunity has been so easy. Because I think the last 10 years has been the easiest time ever to go and start a new fitness business. We've had you know, cheap website tools, we've had cheap Facebook ads, new boutique things with less competition. And, and you mentioned timing, and I, I put, I put you know, 80% of my success also down to timing. Uh, the other 20% was me being able to recognize it was good timing, mm. some credit. But it was timing. It's like if you got to Dubai 30 years ago and got a piece of land for $10, great. You know, now you can't jump on and do the same thing. And so a lot mm. of people now who've come into the ecosystem and are looking at what people, a lot of mentors and coaches out there are, are sharing people with people what they did to be successful seven years ago. And people are now taking that, investing in courses, trying it out, and then going, huh, this doesn't really work the same way. Mm. And that's a bit of an issue in the industry, I think. And and people are now realizing it is a, it is a different time now, and, and some opportunity has passed. But there are new opportunities, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I've been pushing a lot. Is I think if the last 10 years it was cool to be an entrepreneur, the Next 10 years, it's going to be cool again to become a self employed or contracted underneath someone who has grown a successful small uh, co- coaching business. And yeah, I think you know, that's a lot of what you're talking about there. And you can, yeah, be- I think you know, I, I haven't. They, we and we have created now because we have kind of tackled this model over the next 10 years. And now, like when I started as a bit, when I became self employed, I only did it because there wasn't anything that like base offers. If there was a base back then, I would have just come and worked for you and said, wow, I can work in a bootcamp, like boutique environment and I can do these kind of sessions. And then my options were work in a boring, small mainstream gym or, you know, wipe sweat off treadmills at LA Fitness for six pounds an hour. There was nothing in the middle to do what I wanted to do and, and create and, and be expressive and, and, and work with a small dynamic team, but now, Guys like yourself have created that opportunity and I think you're, you're essentially evolving the industry so the new wave of coaches or the current ones who are burning out after five, six years and realizing tracking finances and hiring is not for me. They can now come and work for a company like yours and have career fulfillment, uh, pathway to growth, financial security, creative expression. Mm. and get all the upsides of what they think they want from being an entrepreneur without the downsides of, you know, headaches and taxes and all the rest of it. Um, And so I think that's an important point people need to realize that they can have, you're creating that opportunity for people now that we have never seen before.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you should say, because it's something we do reflect on a lot at base. What you've said there is absolutely true. But it really needs to be created and built by the workplace, right? Like what you said, you know, great train training, you're learning from other coaches, you get a stable salary. Unfortunately, in our particular space in boutique fitness, that isn't always the case. You know, I think you need to, as a business owner, work really hard to make sure that environment is great so that you attract the right people, you retain the right people. You know, I'm one of the proudest things that I have with BASE is that we haven't lost any coaches to either being a freelancer or joining another gym. Which i see as honestly one of our biggest achievements we now have 28 coaches so the only coaches that have left they've either been let go or they have gone back to their home countries so to do that you need to do a lot for your coaches you need to give them a fantastic environment you need to make sure that there's a good stream of clients coming in so they can actually make some money you need to make sure the earning potential is high you need to have good strong company culture so they feel proud to be part of the team um, needs to have growth and development opportunities so that they can constantly be progressing and that is one of our values at base so i do agree with what you said but unfortunately as an industry i don't think we are particularly good at that especially in the boutique space
0: no there's a lot more on culture definitely to bring in and like i said culture and employee retention and i think when when Bitpro starts seeing like we, we keep saying uh, your team are your new clients which means a you need a funnel or a pipeline to continually attract yeah retain retain, and, and grow um, those assets um, yeah. just as important as you know, a Facebook ad funnel. It's like, well, where's your pipeline of co- a new talent coming from? And, and also, like I said, the, yeah, the company culture is... Um, so, yeah, I think I think one of the things we can, we can definitely agree on as well is going from like a low six-figure income to the next level. It's, it's your team and your team culture that get you there, right? It's not a marketing yeah. funnel. It's not Investment—it's—it's it's none of those things really compared to the culture and your team can get you there, right? Yeah, I'm with
1: you on that one. I think a lot of gyms focus on uh, attracting and retaining clients, but don't think so much about attracting and retaining coaches, members of staff. like well quite like the way you think about it, right? You need your your funnel, your retention strategy for your coaches yeah. as well. It's absolutely true. So again, just like clients, if you're doing a great job, your coaches through word of mouth will talk to other coaches and they will bring them on, right? If you have good, strong marketing, you'll bring in clients, but also coaches will really want to be a part of that. If you have a very strong concept, strong culture, and a strong mission, clients will be drawn for sure. Members of staff will be drawn as well. So yeah, definitely with you on that.
0: Where do you see your, I mean, you probably don't need much of a pipeline of talent since you have like 100% retention rate, which is is obviously prevention is better than cure. but where where do you do you still seek out other pipelines? Do you have you know funnels or pipelines of talent uh, or potential talent you know, new trainers um, coming to you? So where where would you seek and attract these trainers from if you did need someone?
1: Yeah, it's been, um, I guess, a small disclaimer. One day we will lose someone and that is fine. You know, I used to work for a gym and I'm sure one of our guys will, you know, at some stage go and do their own thing. And that really is, is great and would be a big success for me. You know, it will happen one day, but very proud of that. You know, three and a half years in, we can say that at the moment. And it's something that we will try and continue to uphold, of course. I have seen the industry develop so much here and change so much. Eight years ago, it was very hard to recruit anyone. Ties didn't really see a career in the fitness industry as being particularly appealing. It was kind of seen as a similar level to maybe drivers or maids, something like that, or just other service staff. Now that has completely changed now so fitness is cool people want to be coaches it's seen as a desirable job you know earning potential is high and people are quite aware of that And i think just generally worldwide there's a shift towards i quite want to do a job now which i believe in has a positive impact on people and i actually enjoy as opposed to i'm just paying the bills so we've definitely felt that in thailand you know seven six years ago it was more like sports science graduates that we would employ, and then foreigners, of course, would apply quite a lot. But just as our client base has shifted over to Thai, so have our recruits, for sure. And we're limited to how many foreigners that we can recruit here. We have six foreigners at base. But luckily, over the years, more and more people, more and more locals, Thais, have been applying for work. And we we absolutely love taking on brand new coaches and building them up.
0: One question for you guys. I'm not sure how it is over there. Do, in, in Asia, do people need a college or university degree? to to be involved in fitness like in some european areas
1: they do yeah Asia's a little bit behind in that respects for sure <laughs> there's not much regulation in many industries i mean worldwide fitness is quite a young industry of course and there's not really a huge amount of regulation even in the top markets but here especially absolutely not no but you know okay so we've um With BASE, we wanted to build a world-class gym, a gym that if you put it in New York, in London, in Sydney, it would still stand out as being one of the very best. So our standards, our benchmark is basically the world's best gyms. So if you open a gym in London or New York, you need to have fully qualified coaches that are very passionate about what they're doing. So even though it isn't a legal requirement here in Thailand or in most places in Asia that I know of, it is a requirement of base. And, you know, we hold ourselves to that standard. And I think it's it's doing that, which has enabled us to win Asia's Gym of the Year 2018 and then the recent Bangkok's Best Studio Award from Class Bus because we have those high, high standards. You know, to be quite frank, if we looked locally for our benchmark, it's not set particularly highly. Now, there are some good studios here, but overall, we really are sort of catching up the West. So we thought, okay, let's try and benchmark ourselves against those absolute top industry-leading players, and that way we can lead Asia.
0: Perfect. Okay, so we might come back around to culture and hiring, because so I know we could talk for days on that. um yes. and it's absolutely—it's it's, yeah. When you catch that bug, like you clearly have for it, it becomes like five years ago we would talk about social media advertising and getting clients, and that now it's that bug for attracting and developing people. And and yeah, someone might yeah. leave, you know. But I always say is any relationship as long as you leave them better than you found them, you done the best. So absolutely
1: Sorry, before you go on jason uh, justin i just want to touch on one other point that i wanted to make but missed there so we talked about the entrepreneurial scale right um you know are you better as a coach or are you born to run a business now i think we see a few interesting things on both sides of that spectrum one is if you're better off as a coach if that's what you love to do and you don't want to employ or manage anyone you don't want to look at finances or anything like that one interesting thing that happens a lot in our industry and i think it's good to talk about it is clients that were whispering in your ear hey we should go and open a gym why are you working for someone else why are you building up someone else's dream why are you paying for his kids school fees and then they start to get influenced by that even though they know in their heart of hearts it's not right for them. Or maybe they get persuaded that it is right for them. And I've seen a coach who was in the very best position for him or her, earning good money, seeing good clients in a great facility, They've been persuaded by one of their clients, usually to go off and set up a studio or a gym, and the whole thing has just gone down the drain. And that's been pretty sad to see. They've gone from having a very stable, strong position to pretty much losing everything they have, and you know, probably even doubting their position in the industry after such a bad experience. And I think that's just, you know, sometimes it's well-meaning clients. You know, they may have their own businesses. A lot of our clients, you know, have got money, so they often have their own businesses. But just think a little bit carefully about, you know, what you recommend for your coach or your trainer to do. I mean, that being said, there are, of course, success stories. You know, myself, I have people saying to me, hey, why don't you do your own thing? But I just think you've got to be careful of that persuasive client who's telling you to leave your job and suddenly set up a studio everywhere. You know, try and detach yourself from that and really consider, is this right for me? Can I make a success of this? And also, is this going to turn me on? Is this going to excite me? And another point I wanted to make on the other side, I think if you really want to excel the top 1%, as you put it, I really feel like you had to have this, like, obsession it can 't just be you know it talks about developing a passion for you know finances and recruiting people and management, but really to be in that top one percent it's got to be a bit more than passion it's got to become like I want to be the very fucking best I can be and i 'll do whatever it takes to get there and I think that's when you really get those those businesses those gyms I mean it can be in any area of business really that's when you get those few they just sort of separate to the top
0: yeah definitely when you kind of just lose yourself in the process and it becomes just like you're you know, my business to me just feel like it's it's just like my life's work, a project that I'm just building on. I wake up like a new Lego set, and I'm waking up and I want to work on it a bit more and build and build and build. Mm. Not for the outcome. The outcomes, mm. you know, are more like indicators that say, yeah, you're on the right track. Do some more. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, when
1: ideas are constantly popping into my head, you know, I'll, I'll go away on a holiday, which is great, but there will constantly be things that are popping into my head. I want to check in and see how things are doing. Sometimes when I get away, I have a great idea, something that can really impact the business. And it's kind of always on my mind. Now, that probably sounds like hell on earth to some people. But for me, honestly, I love it. And when I have that idea, I get that burst of excitement, that little bit of adrenaline, and just can't wait to sort of start working on it. And I think, you know, yeah, that's how some people are built, I guess. And if you're not, it's just good to recognize that.
0: Well, that's it. It feels like hell if they're not totally in love with this process, right? You know, if they're doing anything, they're not totally full of So yeah, I told you that's, that's so underrated. And again, you know, we could get, we could talk for a day on just that alone. Cause these are the real, this is the stuff I hope listeners and viewers don't gloss over. Mm. You know, um, this is the real stuff. So, uh, what was I going to, um, yeah, going back as well, you mentioned about the people leaving, setting up their own thing. That's, that's happened in one of our, our locations. Um, last year we had, we offered a great position to a trainer to stay with us he had a whisper in his ear from a client who was going to, you know, invest 5,000 pounds to help him. Um, because, you know, I think, I think because as well, they don't, un- they, they, they underestimate, they see the front of the business, you know, they see, well, they're running some ads, they're doing this offer. This is how they take payments. That's, that's the whole thing. I can do that. And then they don't realize that they gonna work themselves and see, Oh wow. Okay. There's a lot more to this. Um, Mm-hmm. and then yeah um, the, yeah it, and i think it's
1: just glorified a little bit as well right you know you said that maybe that's going to shift and i agree but it's not just like i can do this it's like i should be doing this
0: <laughs> you I mean, know either, see people on
1: instagram entrepreneur millionaire ipo all this stuff I mean, and think oh shit yeah maybe i should be doing that and you know well, that couple of people telling you you should can kind of send you in the wrong path perhaps to, for you.
0: That's where the culture went the last five years where there was such a good opportunity to be a, a work for yourself if you have that entrepreneurialism trait obviously Mm. then it became so kind of cool and why wouldn't I do that That also then there could be some shame stigma attached to it that like why work for someone else that's devaluing yourself and that's why I said yeah that that was deemed you know so going on your own was deemed cool the last few years now I think the next few years once once the ego is removed from a few people and they start to realize no 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 i'm in a good i'm in a good position here long term i can get what i want and help this company because the company's vision is aligned with my personal vision um and i think when the first few dominoes fall which is all, we're already happening you know we're growing our gyms you know mostly through acquisitions right now by finding trainers who have ended up in this position and say you know what um Not for me I'd rather hand over my assets and just work for you, and your name goes on the door, and I'll carry your company vision instead. Um, and they, they're, uh, you know, they're starting to realise that might be the right choice for some of them. And I think when that keeps happening now, more and more will then realise, oh yeah, you know. And like you said, it's up to us as well. We have to create stability. We have to create, good, you know, guaranteed drum contracts. Good <clears> We can't be like, yeah, you, you fail, so you work for us now, bitch. We're not gonna be like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's gonna be, no, no, no. Um, not only is there no shaming coming over here and working with us, but also, we like we want you to manage our facilities. We want to push you. We want you to grow more than us because when you grow, the company grows. So mm-hmm. it's like we are partners essentially. You're, our, yeah. we're actually putting our trust in you to work for us our success is down to your success here and so they can see there is there they can still be pride and achievement and growth and, uh, and of course creative expression um,
1: and if someone's struggling with whether to take that leap or not hopefully your listeners can take something from my journey and that it was a gradual thing i didn't just go from coach to suddenly business owner you know maybe try and dip your toes into the water with management at your current facility and just see if that's for you. Now I have seen before coaches take that leap and it really hasn't been for them. And I know now they realize that opening a studio isn't for them because they don't really want to manage other people. They've had the good fortune to experience that without having to throw a load of money at it and lose their job and everything else. So, you know, try and dip your toes in the water of business, see how it is, see if it's for you, and then make the leap rather than just what we often see which is coach, boom, suddenly you're trying to hire five coaches to set up a facility.
0: I think work experience is so undervalued today. And I've had this conversation so many times with brand new coaches in fitness and other industries. You know, I had one guy I, I, I sat with a couple of days ago, a friend of mine who uh, works in, in, a, in, a, in a corporate business right now, and he wants to, his dream is to quit and be, uh, consult restaurants on hospitality right and so he's like what's the best way for me to start my online consulting business and i said maybe go and work for a restaurant and, and give them all your hospitality tips and turn that restaurant around for two years you'll get paid you know two three k a month salary which is probably more than you're going to make working setting up your own company for the first year anyway right right don't try and get this you know two grand a month high ticket clients just go and get a 2k a month job in a restaurant do the stuff that you you think you're going to be so good at prove it for them and then see if you still want to do it and and i think for fitness it's the same thing now it's before you consider doing that yeah go and work somewhere for six months 12 months i did the same thing and um and i think that's that gave you know, guys like us a major advantage um yeah
1: just pay and, your dues you know don't, don't try and skip steps pay your dues go and work for a great company and learn how they do it like you said, get, try and go and turn around another company, perhaps, and get you know some experience there. And then when you really, truly feel ready, like I did, then make the step.
0: Perfect, so um, good. So going on then, what I wanna to touch on next then, we might come back to culture and stuff, but one thing I wanna talk about then is how uh, have you differentiated yourself in terms of operations, delivery, marketing, whatever it might be, what have you done then to, to make base really stand out you mentioned earlier if you want you know to be a world-class place in london new york you have got to stand out differentiate uh what are some things you've done that have worked particularly well for, for the base brand when you look at differentiation
1: or usp you know you can look at the stuff which for me isn't really a true differentiator which is stuff like um having great front of desk staff They give you a really warm welcome, really good customer service, passionate coaches. Now, these things will help you stand out. And that's something we have definitely focused on through having good standards for our classes, good um, training process. But really, it's not that sexy differentiator or USP that you do need as a business, especially when you're going into you know, an already quite crowded market or a busy marketplace, you know, conceptually, you need something that makes you stand out a little bit. If you were to open a studio in New York tomorrow, you cannot do just a circuit training workout with TRX, kettlebells, dumbbells. It's just not gonna be enough. There's so many places that do that. So Bangkok was quite advanced when I stepped into the market. You know, when I stepped in, sorry, when I stepped in with the lab, there wasn't much happening at all. So we were kind of functional training, no machines, bodyweight training, bootcamp style, TRXs, stuff like that. And that was just very, very different to what was being offered. Now, four years later, when I set up base, there were already quite a few of the studios doing that. You know, even the big chain gyms had started to do classes that were somewhat similar. So I realized that we needed something a little bit extra, a little bit different. So one of those things was no one was uh, using cardio machines in their group class training. Uh, you know, kind of Barry's bootcamp style, or Orange Theory style. Uh, I'd done those workouts in New York, really enjoyed them. My training was kind of focused around cardio and strength. So I wanted to give my own spin on that concept, kind of based around the training that I did. So we introduced uh, soul bikes, uh, treadmills, which no one else was doing in group classes, and uh, Concept2 rowing machines. And we incorporated that into a hip strength workout. So no one was doing anything like that. Conceptually, that was already very different from day one we really wanted to focus on showing our clients exactly how much they were improving tracking and recording their results and that's gone through quite a few stages to where we are today first it was they would write their scores on the boards for certain sets that they'd done or weights that they'd lifted and we were going to put that data into spreadsheets for each client now it seems completely absurd now that i'm even saying that because it just broke down almost immediately it required the coach to take a photo to send it to the front desk it just didn't work so then we made it a once a month session which was much much better but it wasn't quite as um involved it wasn't quite as deep but once a month we do a one hour session we had eight standardized cardio and strain tests we had a body composition scan, and then our front desk would put that into a PDF manually. Now it did work well. It enabled us to tell these great transformation stories, you know, so-and-so has lost 10% body fat, their squat's gone up by this much. So it did work well, but it was quite labor intensive. And you know, if you were busy that weekend and you missed the session, then it wasn't really very consistent. So the next stage for us was to basically develop technology so that every single class that someone came into, they could start to record their results and track their, their, uh, their progress. So we have treadmill sets where you would type in the distances that you've run. We have strength sets where you type in the weights that you used. We've incorporated that into Mind Body. So as soon as you book in with the MindBody software, it pushes through to the tablets. It's taken over a year of development to get where we are. About three months ago, we soft launched, and it's been received incredibly well. So now you can log in as a member. You can see all of your historical data, how much you've improved for cardio, strength, each individual set. And now that we've started to collect that data, we can now use that in different ways. So it's kind of been cool to see that particular USP develop and evolve into what it is now. You know, we thought at this stage we might get you know, 50 or 60% of people actively participating and putting in their scores. We're getting about 90, 95%. They're really throwing themselves into baseline is what we call it and are really going all in on it. So to see that be so well received has been really, really encouraging. I think that has helped us become the leader in our space in Bangkok. But also if I look at other top fitness markets, the way that we develop this program, this system, this USP, no one else is really doing it quite in the way that we are. So that then gives us an opportunity to go into the bigger markets. Now to go into Singapore, which is hopefully our next step, it's something we're looking closely at. If we didn't have the technology, I would be mildly confident you know, based on the experience that we have, the brand that we've built, the training structure that we have, you know, conceptually I think we'd be quite strong to go into there. but I would be a little bit wary with this technology and this true differentiator, this USP, I'm super confident to go into the biggest markets now. In fact, I really, really want to do it just to see how it's received in these big, busy markets such as Singapore and Hong Kong. So yeah, it's just been cool to see that grow and develop from kind of like an idea that we wanted to track people's results into where it is today. And that required a lot of investment in many ways, right? It's cost us a lot of money because we've purpose-built this technology for our particular system, Um, but also the investment into our team to train them up, into our marketing to let our clients know what this is, why it's so great, how it's gonna help them. So, you know, in terms of energy, money, time we really have put a huge amount into this particular USP but then going back to how I started we still really focus on five-star service all the way through you know Bangkok air quality has been quite poor recently so we've got purifiers that we put in all of our gyms you know no other gym does that to bring the air quality down inside the studio we spend tens of thousands of dollars on uh, sound so we've got you know top quality speakers you know microphones for the coaches you know, we, we invest in all those areas as well, but that's not going to be your sort of sexy USP that you need.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good. I'm you know, doing a similar thing where I think obviously you're going to see that investment back with retention and then with longer retention comes, you know, more attention, more referrals. Um, and that's the key thing. I think there. what you touched on is the business owners I see in fitness and all coaching that do the best spend 80% of their time on the clients versus 20% of the time on prospects and strangers. The guys who are struggling, ironically, have that inverted. Mm-hmm. And marketing, 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 which is important spend time with new people, prospects, but at the expense of neglecting your current clients and not focusing on making the best product. I think a lot of coaches today, they're caught up in making the best marketing, but not the best product. And um, and uh you know it's all about lifetime value at the end of the day everyone's too concerned with reducing their client acquisition cost by a few dollars when they could be increasing their lifetime value by thousands and Mm. it becomes pretty obvious then which side you're focusing on most is going to yield the biggest returns long term um i love that as well sure
1: there's a lot of sorry go on
0: so the other thing i was going to say as well is you know we've, we've also focused a lot on yeah, you know, there's two components, right, to retention of any service. It's results and experience. It's do I get the product I expect with an experience I didn't? And you know, we focus so much, I think, on the experience side, customer service, front desk, you know, nice walls, shiny equipment, which is good. It's great. It's good to have that. But then results, I think, is the thing that the especially the group format hasn't really locked down as in because we, we tend to think, you know, if we're, if we're working with groups of 30 people, oh, well, we can't track results. It's a group, you know, we won't even try to. And you'll never get the same as a personalized one-to-one experience. But I think not enough that pros are even attempting to see what could we do um, on, on that level. And I think so when you're doing that there, you're building in now a solid quantifiable results format. And we've done the similar thing in Argy. We have we have a four-tier grading system, which we took from from uh, martial arts basically, where the clients go through like a ruby, emerald, diamond, um, fitness grade in every 90 days. And it goes through a status thing, and it's all so you know what 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 we can do and, and you can do with your clients is say, look, or a prospect is you can say, look, you know, in six months, twelve months, these are the typical results clients will get on our program. And you can actually you know prove a success rate right. um you can't obviously say you will be this much body fat obviously but you can show a correlation without after- it just, just makes so, it so much
1: more powerful doesn't it you know if you can say they have their score has gone up 17 percent since in their first month yeah their body fat's gone down two percent or whatever it might be it just makes those testimonials and stories so much more powerful i think rather than if just I'm- hey i feel better
0: yeah, it's like if you're going to get driving lessons, you want to say, hey, so if I invest in 12 sessions, what's the likelihood I'll be able to pass my test? And the good instructor can say, well, 92% of my training right. in 12 sessions passed the test, 92% success rate. You can't right. say, well, I don't know, but, you know, my car's really clean.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll be really nice to you.
0: It's like, yeah, I' cool, you know, but it, we need more. So... Yeah, I think. What so you, yeah, if you can
1: couple the data in with the stories, right? So if you can couple that with Johnny came in to do his driving test, he was shit scared, didn't know what to do, you know, couldn't even put the key in because he was shaking so much. But then six weeks with me, now he's great. Now he's got his license and he's driving Formula One or something like that. <laughs> if you can couple that with the stats, the data, like 92%, that's when I think you've got that kind of magic formula between the raw data that people really trust and then that story they can really kind of connect to as
0: well. So I think definitely fit pros are mostly behind in that results regard. I mean, they get results, but yeah, they're not quantifying it, they're not progressing it. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've seen a lot in the last couple of years is uh, a lot of people, like fit pros I've worked with, they tend to get this kind of strange um, drop off in retention after 12 months, which I always found quite um, strange. Cause you know, in my is typically if we get a client to stay for 12 months, there's 90% likelihood they'll stay for the next three years um because we've been doing this i i come from martial arts so i've always done this kind of progression system and then i started seeing that the big pros that weren't doing it they were, they were having drop-offs after after six to twelve months and they they surveyed their clients they did everything why did you leave and, and the clients would say no um, i'm happy it's a great service i love what you guys do i've had a great time and What I've, you know, I can't prove, but what I can speculate for these fit pros is that I think a lot of the time you can do all the experience really well and make them feel amazing. But what your clients always need, especially after six to 12 months is a renewed sense of purpose and goals. And if, and again, I love what you do on the tracking, the performance side, because when a client comes in the first six months, they'll get lots of, um, aesthetic improvements They might lose 20 20, 20 pounds or 10 kilos, but they're not going to lose that same in the next six months. And if you don't condition the client to to shift their focus towards performance metrics, Mm -mm. they don't really have a carrot on a stick anymore. So they'll do six months, 12 months going on. I'm not losing 10 pounds a month like I was at the start. This has been great, but now I'm going to look for the next shiny object. And... Mm -mm. The pros are saying, but I'm doing the experience I you know I'm doing social yeah. sort of and it's like you need that, but well like if you're not giving the clients a renewed sense of growth and accomplishment, they lose purpose and they will leave
1: well if it's just weight loss as well, then there's only so long they're going to stay with you for because once they've reached their weight loss goal. They probably are going to be looking for something different. The things you mentioned are important, like, you know, community, social events. I think often people will say for the community, actually, if it's somewhere that they just really love. But, yeah, I, I particularly agree with that part, you know, going from basically weight loss, fat loss, and shifting that to performance. And, really, that's a success story that I love to see anyway. You know, someone's not feeling confident. They're not feeling good because they're overweight. They lose some weight. They're feeling great. And then it's not really about the number on the scales anymore. They want to lift more. They want to run faster. They want to move better. They want to perform better at sports. They want to enter Spartan races and marathons and stuff like that. And that's a really cool shift that, that we like to see. So we do talk about body fat percentage and weight. You know, we we do do body composition scans for that. I think in our industry, you cannot get away from that. But we do try and encourage that shift towards more performance-based metrics, which is kind of mostly what baseline is about really
0: yeah and it shows new system is geared around that because FitPros will say that like yeah we, we focus on that. <laughs> yeah it will show me a system that actually implements it or is it just right a i mean what you focus- often
1: get with FitPros as well is they'll do the measurements once and then it just doesn't happen again right <laughs> you know yeah. the first day everything's out the tape measure and doing bleep tests and push-up tests and everything but you know there needs to be some kind of system within your facility so that you can show them that they are improving i think absolutely that's pivotal
0: so let's let's start wrapping up then with um what would be let's say one of the biggest challenges you've experienced um through operating your facilities that you 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 think other fit pros listening might be going through and how did you uh resolve that big challenge
1: yeah there's two i would highlight one is we did not have good quality sales staff when we first opened up. That was nobody's fault but my own. I recruited someone who actually said that they weren't so comfortable with sales, but they were had a very strong service background. He'd worked for the Ritz Carlton, you know, was absolutely fantastic at service. So I was like, look mate, don't worry, we're gonna train you up. If you're great at service, you can be great at sales, because that's what we believe, right? Good sales is good service. It's not about ramming a package down someone's throat that they don't need or want. It's about finding the right match for them and getting excited about that. So I kind of overlooked his reservations. He was our manager to start off with. And I realized that he really was just allergic to sales. And it was a barrier that just couldn't be overcome in his mind. That was something that once we recognized, we we wanted to rectify quite quickly. He actually noticed a little bit before us. He resigned before the full extent of how uh, unsuited he was for this role, let's say. And like I said, nobody's fault but my own. I cannot blame that guy. So after he left, we got in a sales manager who loved sales genuinely. She saw the importance of selling right. Got to she see came sales from a yoga a sport,
0: haven't they? Again, sorry? They've got to see sales as a sport. Yeah, exactly. And they've got to They're see it as a healthy, uh, you know, friendly sport, though, not at the expense of someone else. But it's got to be a game to them. They've got to love the game, haven't they?
1: Yeah, she was definitely sort of motivated by hitting numbers and definitely the financial side of it as well. But, you know, she really wanted to help with people. She talked a lot about connecting with them and talking to them and find out what they need rather than just sort of showing them the packages. So she said all the right things. We liked her a lot. Honestly, she was huge for the business in the six months following. So the first six months for us were tough. And there was a few reasons for that. Our marketing was not very good as well. We've learned a huge amount. We do all of that in-house. We have from day one that uh, paid dividends later on. But at the beginning that was tough because we didn't really know what we were doing and we didn't find anyone in bangkok that we were confident you know trusting our marketing and our brand with so that meant that the beginning for those two reasons marketing and sales being poor we had a poor start for the first six months and then things really started to pick up which was down to the sales manager we had and also starting to learn more about marketing at the time facebook ads and stuff was working really well still works okay but not quite as well as it did three four years ago and then things have been pretty good since then obviously there have been ups and downs along the way so make sure you have staff that really want to sell you know are comfortable doing that or can be trained up to do that um they're excited about selling and kind of understand that all we're trying to do in our industry is help this person in front of you get fitter stronger healthier you know someone comes in and they're pre-diabetic and you don't sell to them and they walk out the door you've done them a massive disservice you know that can't be stated enough and to get people that really understand that and are passionate about that, I think is, is quite important, you know, or they just love sales and they love getting commission and stuff like that, but that also works and that's fine. You know, if you get a combination of the two in our industry, then I think that's, that's great. So that'd be my first thing. Don't underestimate sales. The product will not sell itself. We honestly had a good product, I think from day one, but it did not sell itself. It wasn't quite enough. You know, we had to be doing these things and getting these things right. So, the second thing is i we didn't really do a great job at the beginning from building out standard operating procedures as we went along so what that meant is one studio was fine because i was around and i could sort things out and the manager was around two studios was difficult but we just about sort of caught up to two studios and things were working okay The jump to three studios was great in some ways you know the third studio is doing very well it's our busiest studio now so it was definitely the right move but man, we've been playing catch up big time since then in terms of operating procedures. So now our mindset is right, let's build the procedures and systems so that if we had 10 locations, we'd still be fine. 50 locations, we'd still be fine. So that's been the big focus. But honestly, the last 12 months for me and the team would have been a lot easier if I'd started doing that from day one. Even if I only wanted one studio, build one studio as if you're gonna have five, even if you only have one because then you'll be able to just run that business so much smoother. And then if you wanna go and live in Cyprus or Thailand, you might actually be able to do that because you built your business in the right way. If you build that business and you have to be the one just there running it and everything's just in your head, it's not gonna work out. And we did have a situation about 18 months ago when a lot of things were in people's heads rather than actually really down there you know, on on in guides, manuals, and the like. So yeah, those two things. If I could go back, I would certainly do different. Sales and marketing from day one, get that right. Um, invest into that understand the importance of it and really try and get yourself in that mindset from day one of building out the manuals building out the structure of the company building out the procedures in every aspect of the company so that you could if you wanted to step away from it either to build another location go and live abroad focus on something else do something with your kids your family but if you want to still be in the business that's fine your life's just gonna be a lot better you know for it perfect and
0: I think I think people overlook as well these things uh, I, all although this is all true 100% from personal experience, but I think we look at these things as well as in, um, these are good things to do to minimize threats. Like you said, if you can't be there, you know, then it is a threat that the thing will fall apart or if the salesperson is in place, it's a threat of uh, you know, losing money on, on lead generation. And we look at that side, but I don't think enough people also consider that this stuff that needs to be in place to maximize opportunity. So, you know, like if a potential investor comes along or is one of your clients and says, you know what, I want to put money in and help you scale 20 locations, you've got your systems in place, right? And you're you're like, uh, no, and and, you know, that's just one tiny example, but I think um, maximizing opportunities, it's being prepared so that if, if a good thing happens, the business is ready for it. And I think a lot of people can miss out on some growth opportunities there. Um
1: so yeah, another good example would be just it's you, you don't necessarily want to scale to twenty or an investor doesn't necessarily see the potential, but you want to sell the business. Now yeah. I've seen this a lot, but the business has no value. You know, you might be making a hundred thousand dollars and you think, okay, well, you know, three times multiple, my business is worth three hundred thousand dollars, but it's not because if you're not there the business is worth nothing. So really all you've done is bought yourself a job rather than really built a business up. And I yeah. think again, there's a big disconnect there from like what my business is, what it might be worth, what it might be worth to someone else. You know, a lot of businesses really are that. It's just basically a job for the owner. And if they step away, the whole place falls apart. And then pretty much your business is worth the equipment that you have, maybe the lease and the website and not really any more than that. And that's probably like the kind of guys that you swoop into, as you were mentioning earlier,
0: because that's what I say, yeah, that's, that's good for us because that's <laughs> not that we can, the, the, the properties we acquire, but uh yeah yeah but but you know and, and and yeah and you know those guys uh often will see that as a lifeline too and say you know yeah right absolutely yeah say you I mean, know some, what, yeah some... business is worth you know but we can pay you it in terms of a salary you know give you a, a 20 25k guaranteed salary which is paid mm. over a year rather than you know the value of a business and well,
1: i think often when it's got to that stage they're kind of done anyway and they are just looking for a way out right so yeah. you know it's um yeah you know you're coming in and you're offering them something which you know some of them choose to take, and I'm sure it's a great option for them either sell the whole thing and step away and do something different or you give them the opportunity to continue working as well.
0: So I think this is really good you know we we wrap up here because and this is a good perspective to just remind everyone as well that because we're we're kind of talking in two streams here. We're talking about you know definitely if you are the entrepreneur, you definitely want to make go of this, you feel it's right for you, then you know you get these systems in place, you get your sales, you do all the things that Jack talked about. But at the same time, if you are somebody that, maybe you think you have entrepreneurial tendencies, but you are starting to get the awareness that maybe all that is not for you, and you're listening to this thinking, man, if I'm in Asia, I would love to come and work for Jack or work with Jack and help him grow the base company. That's also fine, and 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 we're, say, we're not saying that you're off the hook, don't do this stuff. You should be doing it anyway, um, but I think we're going to see double the opportunity now. If you're self-aware to it, the next few years is this take this information and grow your business, or um, there's there's looking at other avenues and collaborating, working alongside guys like myself and Jack, um, and and if that's the case, you know it's not that everything you've done is in vain. It's not that it hasn't worked out. It's just a stepping stone to the next place as well. So. That's the one thing I want everyone to take away really from this is, is you know, are you that entrepreneur? Does it excite you to do these things and get them in order? Can you get the bug to do this stuff and find the fulfillment and the growth in it? Um, or, you know, are you looking to explore other options over the next few years where you can do the one thing you want to do what we love and, and, and that you do have more opportunity, um, you know, with business owners like us to, to, um, to do what we love? and get paid well, and grow, have a great culture, which is what we're dedicated to giving you guys as well, and giving our giving our teams. So it's very interesting yeah. conversations are splitting in this direction now, whereas even myself, two years ago, I'd be telling listeners, like, no, you can pull through. You can do it. You can build a business. You can build a business. And now it's just like I, I, I meet some prospects, you know, some big pros who want mentoring help. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I'd love to employ you. But going out there on your own, you know, may or may not be the best thing these days. Um, It's an an interesting... Yeah, I, I
1: second that for sure. I think people should just consider, as you've said, whether it really is right for them. You know, really reflect deeply. Is this something that I want or is it people yapping in my ear or pressures from someone else? And then if you do want to do it, do it step by step. Dip your toes in the water, like we said. Try and get some managerial experience. Listen to your podcast. Listen to my podcast really reflect on what this means to be a business owner. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the level of obsession that I talked about? If you really want to grow something big, if the answer is yes to all of that, then go and fucking do it. If it's not, or you're not sure, just take a little baby step forwards, scope it out and then move on from there.
0: And if you want to be a real rock star if you work in a gym right now, listen to our podcast anyway and do what we say for that company and you'll be going up the right. pretty quickly, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we, it does not just, I know that our podcast, it's not just gym owners that listen to it, it's managers or coaches that are aspiring to get into management or gym ownership. So, yeah, you know, like I did, rise in a company and then make the decision whether you're ready or not, right? And that will give you enough of a taste of whether it's suitable for you, whether it's right for you.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been fun. We've got so many synergies here and um, maybe we'll have to get you back on again in the future and we can discuss some other specific things in more depth or do a little series or something because I know we could just talk for days. Uh, so Yeah, it-
1: right. These podcasts are sometimes hard to cut short when they're going well. But no, it's been really great to meet you, Justin, and really great to share some ideas and thoughts. Like you said, there's definitely a lot. That we agree on so um yeah for sure we can do um, a reciprocal podcast on the fitness business asia podcast and always happy to come back on and chat about this stuff all day long it's uh it's not work for me it's fun for sure
0: perfect would love to do that so for all the listeners and viewers who want to reach out to you or find out more about what you do about base or about your um any other services you have where would be the best place to uh to go and we'll we'll drop any links um in the text anyway but if you want to let people know where's the best place to go next to connect with you.
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is now my social media platform of choice. So Fitness Business Asia or Jack Thomas is my name. LinkedIn slash Fitness Business Asia is the URL. Don't really use Facebook and Instagram that much, but Jack T. Base or you can check out our studio, basebangkok.com, basebangkok on Instagram. And of course, Fitness Business Asia is very easy to find. Just search for that anywhere. Apple, Spotify, Google, or FitnessBusinessAsia.com. Very happy to connect with people in the industry for any reason, really. I'm very available and very open. So yeah, LinkedIn, is probably the best spot to do that add me leave a little note on where you heard from me you know whether it's podcast or elsewhere and always happy to connect
0: great thanks so much for your time today and uh, dropping so much value we look forward to having you on again in the future I'll, I'll reach out to you and um, thanks for listening everyone I'll drop those links somewhere around here wherever you are listening this on, on podcast or YouTube Go and connect with Jack. Go and find out about what he's doing. He's one of the, the one of the few legit guys in this industry who's actually been there, done it, and is still doing it. And um, comes highly, highly recommended, um, from my point of view. And again, guys, if you're enjoying this this podcast, if you're getting any value from this whatsoever, screenshot it, post up on your socials, tag one of us or both of us in a post. And I always give out goodies and freebies and special prizes to those who, who share the podcast around. So thanks for jumping in and we'll see you guys on the next show.